This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. I have to try to understand, you know, what's happened to politics and leadership and government uh, in ways that I think are not entirely positive but need to be discussed. Twenty-five years ago, he became the province's first NDP premier. Later, he switched parties and went on to serve as the interim leader of the Liberal Party from 2011 to 2013. Now, after a lifetime in politics and just in time for the fall election, Bob Ray's new book asks the question, what happened to politics? That's coming up later. Plus, the markets have recovered from that drastic drop at the beginning of the week. But is it a wake-up call for Zoomers looking to protect their retirement portfolios? I'll check in with Jamie Golombek, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning with CIBC. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Some major developments on the path to legalizing assisted dying. A new forum research poll finds 77% of the population believes in doctor-assisted death for people who are terminally ill and requesting to die. That number is up 10% from a similar poll just four years ago. The results come the same week that the Canadian Medical Association released an internal survey that found 63% of its members would not provide medical aid in dying to a patient who requested it. People around the world are living longer, even in some of the poorest countries, but they're also spending more years burdened by illness and disability. An analysis of data from 188 countries found that life expectancy for both sexes increased from just over 65 years in 1990 to 71 and a half years in 2013. Healthy life expectancy also went up, but not as much, gaining more than five years to an average of 62 years, which means most people will experience nearly a decade of poor health. Japan had the highest healthy life expectancy, 73.4 years, and Lesotho had the lowest at 42 years. Canada came in at number 10. And here's a longevity milestone for a different kind of Zoomer. Corduroy, a 26-year-old cat from Oregon, has been named the oldest living cat by Guinness World Records. His owner, Ashley Reed Okura, has had him since he was a kitten and she was seven. Okura told a local paper that Corduroy is still active and in good health except for some kidney problems, and he still hunts on the family's 160-acre property. One of the last two survivors of the original Great Escape has died 
at the age of 101. Australian pilot Paul Royal was one of the 76 airmen who took part in the legendary World War II prison break from the Nazi Stalag Luft III camp in occupied Poland. Their dramatic escape was celebrated in the 1963 film starring Steve McQueen. Mr. Royal died in hospital in his hometown of Perth following surgery on a hip fracture that he suffered in a fall. Royal's death leaves only one survivor of the great escape, 94-year-old Brit Dick Churchill, a former squadron leader. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The week started with a dizzying tailspin on the markets. The Dow Jones Industrial Average had an historic 1,000-point drop at the open, came back, fell again, rose up, and then fell in the last hour for a 588-point loss on the day. And by the end of the week here in Toronto, the S&P TSX index finished up 98 points on Friday, its fourth consecutive rise after a six-day slide in which Canada's main market lost more than 1,200 points. This extreme yo-yoing is scaring investors, especially Zoomers with a limited time horizon. Should you retool your portfolio for this extreme volatility? I sat down with Jamie Golombek, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning with CIBC. It's been exciting, that's for sure. (laughs) I think the most important message that we're trying to get across to people is don't panic. In other words, if you've had a properly balanced portfolio appropriate for your age, your goals, then there's really no need to do anything drastic at this point. You need to stay the course and be calm. Okay, well, let's focus on the age because it's one thing to give that advice to people who are younger, who have a very long time horizon. But what about Zoomers. I mean, there some, some people are even going to have to start cashing out their savings. Absolutely. And the key then is hopefully you've got the right long-term approach for the money that you need for the rest of your life. In other words, you're sitting down, uh, maybe you've got a financial advisor, maybe you're doing it yourself. But the key is that over the long term, markets have rebounded. Things have come back. So I think one of the worst things you could do is sort of panic and say, sell it all now. Because if you're selling it all at a loss then chances are you're moving into something, let's say, very safe, like a GIC or cash. Rates of return on those are so low. And you may not even beat inflation, especially after taxes. We've dodged a bullet. Right. So this might be a good time to look at what you've got and say, how should I tweak this? If you look at your portfolio and say to yourself, I'm comfortable if the market does go down another 10%, I will still be able to meet my monthly bills I can still make the payments I need to make. I'll still have some left over for kids or grandkids or whatever the plan is for the inheritance. Then I think there's nothing you need to do. If, on the other hand, you see that there is a risk that now with the lower uh, markets that you have and the lower values of your RSP or RIF, that you could run out of money, then it may be time to make some of those changes and move into more conservative investments in your portfolio. Such as? Well, again, there are things that are guaranteed. GICs are guaranteed. You will never lose money on your GIC. That being said, you won't make money either. You won't make money when it comes to your after-tax return after inflation. We're at the historic lowest interest rates in like 60 years. So your rates of return are almost negligible. And then once you take away your tax on that, and once you adjust for inflation, you actually can have a negative rate of return. 
What about dividends? A lot of Zoomers rely on dividend-paying stocks. Yeah, well, again, uh, companies are still increasing dividends. We've seen just recently the banks. Uh, several of the banks have increased their dividends in light of very profitable earnings that they just showed. So we can see that you know dividend stocks are something that you know you can still rely on. Uh, the price of those stocks may have gone down considerably, but effectively, what that means is that with the dividend rates rising, your yield is effectively higher. In other words, the percentage that you're getting because the price is lower, the actual percentage you're getting on those is certainly higher in many cases than any GIC that you would get. That being said, there's risk. There's risk associated with dividend stocks because the portfolio can go down just like with any other equity. Bonds have been in the toilet. They're back up now. Uh, should people be upping their percentage of bonds? I think bonds have always been an important part of our portfolio. Certainly for a Zoomer, it's part of a balanced portfolio. And, you know, generally we recommend, again, depending on the age, uh, you want an allocation to bonds, whether that's 30 percent, 40, 50, even 60 percent. Yeah, bonds have not done well, but they do balance out a portfolio and they often tend to move in the opposite direction of stocks. So I'm a firm believer in including bonds, even in a low interest rate environment, in a portfolio. Bonds do provide a security if you're dealing in either governments or blue chip bonds. You've got, in most cases, a very strong guarantee, not 100 percent, that you're going to get paid back. And therefore, it's a protection against loss of capital. And that's why I think bonds are an important part of every Zoomer's portfolio. Okay. Final question. So let's say we think that we're back to a time of volatility. So people have to be prepared for a possibility that they may have to start cashing out of their rifts uh, when the market is way down. What advice do you have for somebody who may be in that situation? I think if you're taking an approach that uh, you know, you've got X number of years in which you're going to rely on your RIF based on life expectancy and health and other considerations, the fact that there should be daily swings in the market really shouldn't impact you. Uh, there is an obligation to withdraw a certain percentage of your RIF every year. That's mandated under the income tax rules. Uh, we know that recently the budget has dropped those significantly, which would be a big thing, a big help to Zoomers in terms of reducing the minimum amount sometimes by 30% of what they actually had to take out. So that will be very helpful. But again, just because the markets are up and down uh, doesn't really mean that you should be making any dramatic changes to your portfolio. If you've got a portfolio that is sustainable over your lifetime, then we should be able to ride out this volatility uh, in the short term. Okay. Jamie Golombek, thanks so much. My pleasure. That was Jamie Golombek, CIBC's personal finance expert. Coming up, the game of politics is not what it used to be. What does that mean for us as we try to choose the best person and the best party to run the country? Coming up, I'll talk to Bob Ray about his new book, What's Happened to Politics. He says it's not a memoir or a nostalgic look at the good old days. Bob Ray's new book examines how our political system has changed in recent decades, with spin replacing policy and messaging replacing discourse. What does that mean for us in the midst of this lengthy election campaign? Bob dropped by our Liberty Village studios to talk about what's happened to politics. Well, I think the book really tells a couple of stories. One is the economy has come apart in ways that I think are are really important to understand that there was a time, albeit, you know, not a, not a forever moment, obviously, but there was a time after the Second World War when the growing economy produced 
better results for most people. And I think we're now in a very different time. We're in a time when the economy has, in a sense, come apart, when some people are doing incredibly well and have done incredibly well. Others just have not been able to take advantage. Uh, women are, are not doing as well as men. Uh, people are working two jobs. There's a whole... They even have a name now for the precarious economy for the people who are living, you know, week to week. Um, and it's, I think, created um, a, a frustration among, particularly among younger people, that's led to not to action, not so much to positive engagement, but has led to a lot of disaffection. And apathy. And apathy, yeah. So how does that change everything uh, in terms of who is engaged with the political process and who controls it? We've seen it in the States. We've seen it in the UK. We see it in Canada, is that um, politics begins to resemble much more um, the business. It begins to look more and more like, you know, packaging and branding and they all look the same, dress the same, talk the same, much more so than before much less kind of room for diversity and human frailty and spontaneity and all those things that I think make life fun. But you're saying this is not kind of a nostalgic walk down memory lane about how good things were before. No, because I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think that's, a, that's a very productive mood to be in. I think you've really got to look at how some things have changed. Some of them, it's not so terrible. It's, some of them, it's quite exciting. I mean, I, I get, personally get a lot of pleasure and fun out of social media and um, how things have been transformed and all the methods of communication, uh, the openness of the Internet. Uh, it's a different time. I mean, it, you know, when I started out in politics in the 70s, um, people were home and people answered the door. It's harder to get volunteers and it's, it's also harder to get the information that people need to get. It's also because uh, spin doctors, and you sort of decry the, oh, yeah. the, the rise of spin, they have figured out what messages will resonate with people. Yeah, and a lot of messages are pre. I mean, most of the messages that politicians use today, most of the phrases that they use about the middle class, about whatever it may be, these are all um, prepackaged phrases. So uh, it really means that there's there's very little uh, room for for creativity. There's very little room for people really trying to engage with the public and understand how. Um, moods change and how needs change very quickly. And it's very difficult for people to actually lead the process of change because you're so interested in looking behind you and looking backwards that you don't, you often miss the, the changes that are underway. So what do we do about this? Well, I think the public needs to be more aware of it. Of, I mean, I think one of the things that we need to do is create greater literacy, greater understanding about the media and about the political process. And I think the public has to become much more demanding about what they want, what they expect. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is that the public expresses its, its concern or its, its, its reaction to what's taking place by becoming disaffected. Going into our election here, what do you hope people take away from this book? First of all, just simply understanding a little better about what's happened because I've had a lot of people say to me, even in the last couple of days, 
you know, you're right. I thought about that, and you're right. And I, you know, they begin to see what the connections between between things a little bit better. I hope. And the second is to get engaged, to be in, you know, to be better informed, and to be more active, to be out knocking on doors and engaging with uh, their friends and neighbors. I think that's really critical. Okay. On that note, Bob Ray, thanks so much. Thank you. What's Happened to Politics is published by Simon & Schuster. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back to celebrate a milestone birthday for Shania Twain. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the story of an Elvis impersonator who loses his spot at a Florida bar to a drag show is impressing the critics. The legend of Georgia McBride is at the Lucille Lortel Theater. In Chicago, there's still time to see a much-talked-about exhibition. Charles Ray, Sculpture, 1997-2014, to is the first major exhibit to celebrate the Chicago-born, L.A.-based artist since the late 1990s. The show is at the Art Institute of Chicago. To London, where visitors to the Tate Gallery are experiencing artistic works not just with their eyes, but with all of their senses. A master chocolatier, a scent expert, and an audio specialist have been brought in to change the way people interact with paintings. The exhibit is called Tate Sensorium. And in Paris, this is the final weekend for a popular exhibit called Napoleon and Paris. It tries to illustrate the complex relationship that existed between Napoleon Bonaparte and France's capital. It's at the Carnivale Museum. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Canada's own Shania Twain celebrated her 50th birthday. Born Eileen Regina Edwards on August 28, 1965, Twain has had an incredible life that has taken her from being a small-town Ontario girl to one of the most successful musical artists of all time. Her childhood in Timmins, Ontario was very difficult. Her parents earned little money and food was often scarce. When she was just eight years old, she began singing in local bars to help earn money for the family. She continued singing all the way through high school and into her 20s as she supported her younger siblings. Then, in the early 90s, it all came together for Twain as she was signed to Mercury Records. Her first album brought her attention from inside the industry, but it was her second album, The Woman in Me, that brought her widespread fame. It sold 20 million copies worldwide and earned Shania her first Grammy. Her third album was even bigger. Come On Over became the best-selling country music album of all time and the best-selling album from a female artist of all time. Both of those achievements are due to the album's monster hits, songs like From This Moment On, That Don't Impress Me Much, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, and this one, You're Still the One. You're still the one I run. That was Shania Twain with You're Still the One. Shania celebrated her 50th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. A program note before we go. 
Starting Monday, Zoomer Radio will be simulcast on 96.7 FM in Toronto, which means listeners will be guaranteed a clear signal in the city. Of course, you'll still find it here on AM740. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.